Welcome to Next Gen, the 15-minute rewatch podcast of Star Trek The Next Generation that gives you even more time to watch more Trek. I'm Bill Smith. And I'm Jamie Rogers. This time we're looking at the second half of the Next Gen season premiere episode, Encounter at Farpoint. Now, before we get to the infamous two-minute recap, let's review the library computer data for Encounter at Farpoint, part deux, or part two, as they like to say. Encounter at Farpoint Part 2, written by DC Fontana and Gene Roddenberry, and directed by Corey Allen. It, of course, premiered September 26, 1987, and the logline is really kind of the same as the first episode, if you think about it, since this is aired as one two-hour episode. On the maiden voyage of the USS Enterprise, an omnipotent being known as Q challenges the crew to discover the secret of a mysterious base in an advanced and civilized fashion. This is the second part of TNG's two-hour season premiere. And now here with the legendary and storied two-minute recap, is Jamie Rogers. With the countdown to Q's judgment continuing to edge closer, Riker and Picard discuss some of the peculiar events taking place at Farpoint Station. This prompts Picard to order Counselor Troy to join him and Riker on an away team mission to meet with Zorn. Zorn is immediately fearful when he realizes that Troy, who is a Betazoid, is at the meeting. Troy then begins to sense intense pain and loneliness coming from somewhere inside the station. Picard tells Zorn that the Federation may not protect Farpoint anymore, at which time Zorn threatens to open up negotiations with the Ferengi. Back on the Enterprise, Riker meets Lieutenant Commander Data for the first time in the holodeck. He learns of Data's desire to be human and invites Data to accompany him onto the away team mission. Riker, Yar, LaForge, Data, and Troy beam down to the station and begin to explore some of the underground tunnels, which causes Troy to once again sense great despair and pain. An unidentified alien vessel soon arrives into orbit and begins to fire on the old Bandy City, but avoids firing on Farpoint Station. Q once again appears and encourages Captain Picard to launch an attack on the alien. Picard locks phasers on the alien vessel but refuses to open fire. Zorn is captured by the alien vessel, causing Troy to now feel a sense of satisfaction. Riker takes an away team over to the alien vessel and soon realizes that the inside of the vessel is identical to the underground tunnels at Farpoint Station. Troy is also sensing intense anger while inside the alien vessel. As the alien transports the crew back onto the Enterprise, everything begins to make sense. The alien vessel is the mate of the wounded alien that is inhabiting Farpoint Station. Picard orders an energy burst, which strengthens and frees the wounded alien, and the crew watches the two alien lifeforms float away into space, reunited. Q decides to let the crew go, although he suggests that Captain Picard may see him again. Well, as we move into the observation lounge, there is great joy and gratitude. Great joy. And gratitude. We're going to talk a little bit about what works in this particular episode for us and what didn't. I think I'll go first this time. Uh, You know, I have to say the resolution of the Farpoint story really, really works for me. I think it's pure Star Trek through and through. You can tell that this was written by somebody like Dorothy Fontana because she wrote some of Star Trek's finest hours in the original series and turns in a solid effort here. The other thing that really works for me, I have to say, is the concept of the away team in The Next Generation. These characters interact well, and more importantly, they work well together as a team, unlike the original series where it was pretty much Kirk and a bunch of red shirts who got killed, Jamie. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. They are completely an ensemble. 
And I like the fact that Next Generation really takes the opportunity for Riker to select the appropriate crew members for the away team. To me, that's important. Like you said, a lot of times in the original series, we'd see Kirk in a bunch of red shirts, or we'd see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy down, going down mm-hmm. to the planet. This is really, truly, um, there was a reason why Troy was selected. There was a reason why LaForge was selected. Um, there's reasons why this ensemble is inter- interchangeable as it is in, on these away team missions. I have to agree with you 100%. I, I, I think it presents Next Gen in a different light, and I think it gives me a glimmer of hope for what the series will give us down the road. What else did you like in this episode? Well, I, I really like the resolution at the end as well. I know you kind of touched on it a little bit. It really shows what we're going to expect going forward, that Captain Picard is a talk first and shoot later kind of uh, leader. He values the opinions of his crew members, which to me is very much a contrast to Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk probably would have been firing on this alien you know, <laughs> in the original series uh, and probably wouldn't have valued the opinion of his crew as much as Picard does. So that's something that I really enjoy. And I look forward to seeing that further develop throughout the series. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Kirk either would have tried to shoot it or make love to it. I'm not sure which. <laughs> and um, anything else that you really enjoyed about Farpoint Part 2? I, you know, I really, I really enjoy I know we saw the bridge highlighted in the first part. But we didn't, you know, most of the episode we were on the battle bridge. But I like how the second part really showed the bridge as a whole. It's set up. And you really see that kind of that democratic type setup where the captain's chair is in the middle. But he has his counselors to the left and to the right of him. And it it just really shows how this is going to be a different Star Trek. This is going to be a more diplomatic look at how we're going to solve problems. He's going to rely on the counsel of the people that that are close to him. Um, so to me, that's something that I really appreciated that new bridge setup. Yeah, I can see that at first when I, I saw it back in 87, I'm like, what is this? This looks weird. It looks far too comfortable, but I, I think that in hindsight, it should be comfortable because these people are going to be together and out in space exploring for a long, long time in theory. And why have it be more utilitarian than it is just natural? So I, I have to agree with that. Um, let's take a look at a few things that didn't necessarily work for us in this episode. And I'll go first. I mentioned it in part one and I'll reiterate it in part two. The Q storyline truly would have been much better as a standalone episode, apart from the far point version of the story. For me, it just doesn't fit. I think it takes something that has a a really good sci-fi component to it in the far point portion of the script and adds the godlike being trope from TOS. And that's where it just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, to your point, it definitely would have been much better as a standalone episode. And, and it, it feels forced. There, there are some areas where it absolutely feels forced. And I don't like how they almost use that cue presence in the story to kind of move the story along. Like, yeah. like there was no desire on Picard or the crew's part to really figure out this far point mystery until Q kept popping up into the scenes. So I do agree with you. It didn't work. That's a really good way to put it. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but I think you're right. Ultimately, I like what they do with Q and Next Gen to some extent. I just really wish that they would have had a a Q introduced separately. They could have made it episode one. They could have made it episode two either way. But I think that the Farpoint script was strong enough to stand alone. What aspects of this particular episode didn't work for you necessarily? Uh, the female characters did not work for me. Um, I don't like Troy's portrayal since 
uh, and I know I, I highlighted this earlier, but her eyes are watering through the entire episode. Yeah. And, and to me, she almost seems like that Tawny Madison character from Galaxy Quest. All right. Oh, right. Right. So, you know, pointing out the obvious. And, and I know I'm kind of touching on part one a little bit, but, you know, when that, that l- lieutenant gets frozen right in the beginning, she's like, he's frozen. I mean, it's it, it's no so, kidding. It's so common sense. And, and it's just how it's portrayed. And I don't know if it's just Marina Sirtis trying to find her footing or if it's the writing, but it just did not work for me. And then I kind of I kind of bring that even farther into the the Troy Riker relationship, that whole sequence where Troy's like talking to him telepathically. It did not work for me. Um, to me, Troy comes across as being very clingy and very overbearing. And you see some of the scenes that take place after that, where she, one point she's trying to be alone with Riker on the away team mission, or she's really expressing this genuine deep concern for, for his safety. It, it just, it was over the top. I, I didn't like it. You know, I have to agree with you. I, for me, the writing of Deanna Troy so far just doesn't work at all. And you bring up some great points. We haven't had much time with her at this point in the series. And as you point out, she's already cried through most of the second part of this, this premiere. Um, and I think that the, the aspect of the Troy Riker relationship that Gene absolutely recycled from Star Trek, the motion picture with Decker and Ilea, um, also doesn't necessarily work. I think if you're going to create a bond between these two characters, you have to do it a little more naturally and not like, oh, well, I used to be stationed on her home planet and I left without saying goodbye. Um, and that uh, just... It's it's a little tiresome at this point, and um, I like I like how you know she's talking to Riker telepathically. He yeah, does, he doesn't even respond to her. I don't know if you noticed that. He can't. <laughs> he doesn't even respond to her. So clearly, he didn't learn whatever she taught him on Beta Z. Didn't learn it. No, no, he really didn't. Um, uh, overall, though, as we consider both of these parts, I have to say it it's not it's not a terrible episode. Honestly, it's it's not the best of the Star Trek series premieres. But it's, it's certainly far more watchable than, say, the very last episode of the original series, Turnabout Intruder. Oh, yes. That was uh, another poor portrayal of a female character in Star Trek in that one. <laughs> yeah. And, well, honestly, I mean, that seems to be the book on, on Star Trek, at least in TOS and some early TNG. Um, here's hoping that the female characters in Next Gen become a little more well-rounded than their counterparts in the original series. Let's take a look at this episode's inner light. What do we learn about these characters or Trek itself or, or even maybe ourselves in the process? And Jamie, I'm going to leave it up to you since really I feel like I, I, I didn't learn much more than I did in part one. So what's your stance on part two? Well, to me, this part two, it, it shows that this incarnation of Star Trek is going to be different. It really shows that we're going to solve problems with our minds, not with our fists. We're going to talk through problems we're going to try to find the diplomatic solution in most cases. So that's something I really appreciated with this half. I also really clearly saw Riker identified in the second half as the Kirk role from the original series. He really assumes that role where he's going to take charge on away team missions. He's going to be our action hero. He's going to be our guy everybody's going to fall in love with. He's really going to assume that, that, that Kirk role. And to something that you mentioned kind of earlier... We really see this show, as opposed to the original series, the crew is going to function as an ensemble. They're going to work together. 
It's not going to be the big three anymore. It's going to be, yes, we have a captain, a clear leader, but the group as a whole is going to work together to solve those problems. You know, I think you bring up a great point because many people look at the original series as an ensemble series, and it clearly was not. It was an ensemble of three, you know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Whereas this really is an ensemble of seven or eight. And I think that's far more interesting. I think it allows for better and more in-depth character development and storytelling. And I think that's why I look forward to the rest of this rewatch, because I think I'm going to look at these characters in a different light, no pun intended. Um, I'm interested to see where they go. Um, I know as the season progresses, there are going to be some things I get a little bummed about. Tashiar, looking at you. Um, but I, I'm really excited for carrying on this rewatch. Um, I think we're in a good, in a good space with this, no pun intended there either. So I think that's going to about do it for episode two of next gen. Jamie, why don't you tell us about our next adventure in Star Trek, the next generation? Well, Bill, we're going to take a 15 minute dive into the naked now. Can space travelers hold their liquor the second time around? I guess, I guess we will find out. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Next Gen. To leave us feedback, click on the More button here in the Trek Geeks app and send us an email. We'd be happy to read it. And until next time, live long and prosper.